to quote the great. Let's flip the switch and let her rip on another edition of Midday, the Roll Radio Network. Here we go. My heavens, look at this guy. <laughs> Who eventually came up with that line? I mean, where did that originate? That's a great line. That's Was it Yogi Berra? That's, I don't think so. <laughs> that's that's Monty James, our, our friend Monty. Oh, that's right. That's, that's where I've heard that before. You clean up really good. You must have something special going on. Well, there is today. later on today. I can't say anything yet. Uh, but. Uh, uh, this is what we call in the trade embargoed. I see. Yeah. Well, stand <laughs> by for uh, all of the mystery as it unravels today on another <laughs> exciting edition of the Midday. You do that so well. <laughs> you should now, be in radio. You know, it's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> Let's go over to Joe Gangwish and find out what's happening in our ag headlines. Well, in Ag News at 1213, Governor Pete Ricketts introduces a new international trade council involving agriculture. Of course, we'll have details on that. Also, former U.S. Senator, Secretary of Agriculture from Nebraska, of course, that is Mike Johans. He's got a new gig. We'll tell you what that is at 1213 as well. Dewey Nelson live with the good folks at Water Street Solutions talking markets at 1219. Our very own Shaley Peters is in Denver for the NCBA uh, Cattlemen's Beef Board Mid-Year Meeting going on in Denver this week. Our newsmaker is none other than Craig Uden, NCBA president from Elwood, Nebraska, discussing this year's summer meeting going on. Electronic logging devices, there was a decision made in Washington on that this week, and also the Waters of the U.S. rule and how that pertains to cattlemen moving forward. That'll be at 1245. She's back at 117 with NCBA Director of International Trade. That is Kent Backus. They'll be talking about trade with China, also NAFTA, and Korea. All right. Thanks All right. very much. Throw it over to the nicely dressed Jason Jorgensen. To my that left, is, to the right, on your radio. That is the bluest blue I think I've ever seen. <laughs> it's a good blue. I think. It, you know, I, I like think it. it's uh, very nice. It works. It works for you, my friend. And look at that tie. He's all scrubbed up. Now, I, I think I dress decently to work. I mean, I don't show up, you know, like it just came from irrigating or anything, but people just aren't used to me wearing a tie. <laughs> All right. But you got to do something about that hair. That's such a comb your hair. That's okay, such a... I'll try. <laughs> hey, coming up in sports, it is that time of year for preseason watch lists. It gets people talking about football, yes, it which does. is great, but I saw one last night and I thought, the preseason watch list has now jumped the shark. <laughs> they have a preseason watch list for the best field goal and extra point holder oh. in the country. <laughs> yes, I saw that last night and I was like, oh boy. I mean, you've really taken this a little too far. I mean, there's specialization and then there's specialization. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, a holder is very important. I mean, just ask Tony Romo. You know, he blew that chance with the Cowboys years ago, but we really need one of those for college football. Crazy. I don't know. We'll also talk about Wimbledon and we'll talk about a big trade this morning between the White Sox and the Cubs. Very good, sir. And Bob Rogan, what's happening in news, in uh, business news? Bank and tech, uh, bank and tech uh, stocks are leading the market today a little bit higher. Uh, some modest gains by tech companies and banks. Also, the GOP has uh, pushed out a health plan. They're seeking more support from conservatives on it, and so that's being is jockeying for some support. Also, uh, jobless claims dip, and those are the things we're watching. Thanks very much, Bob, and uh, stay tuned, everyone. We'll have the whole two hours for you on Midday. 
The Regional and Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And Paul Perkins is in here to find out. I tell you what, you've given us a very nice, comfortable day, but it's not going to last. Is it? No, we got more heat on the way. Uh, some nice rainfall totals last night in many locations, especially if you're riding along and just to the north of I-80. Totals of 1 to 2 inches common from about western Buffalo County on over to Lincoln in eastern Nebraska. We had a report of 2.85 inches or 2 inches and 8,500s towards the Hampton area. 3.5 inches were reported near the Waco area and 4.4 inches of rain in York and right around 4 inches in Utica and just over 3 inches in Seward. Some heavy rainfall totals in many locations. That was very needed. Yeah, and a lot of locations getting some welcome rain and it came nice and slow, not in like a half hour time period either. Temperature is much cooler today as a cold front continues to sink farther south into Kansas. Thunderstorms still remain possible for today and tonight as another disturbance will track east out of Colorado. But the better chances of moisture in behind this front going to be across Kansas and southern Nebraska, a lot closer to that front. A few of the storms may be on the strong or severe side, but not expecting a big severe outbreak or anything like that. A few of these showers or thunderstorms may linger into tomorrow morning. Otherwise, our skies start to clear tomorrow as that ridge of high pressure expands back east onto the central plains. Most areas going to be dry through at least the middle of next week as summer weather returns. Daytime highs will warm back into the 90s and start to be near 100 in some locations as soon as we get to Tuesday. In our long-term forecast, a high likelihood, especially early on, that temperatures will be warmer than normal Tuesday through July 26th in both Nebraska and Kansas. Some monsoonal moisture from the southwest starts making its way towards Nebraska in the later periods of the long term. Below normal rainfall starts the forecast for Nebraska in the middle of next week. Then we start to trend to near to above normal rainfall late next week through the 26th. The Kansas precipitation forecast expects below normal to near normal rainfall Tuesday through the 26th. The latest regional drought monitor is out. It was released today and includes data through Tuesday of this last week. West Central and Central Nebraska abnormally dry. There is moderate drought in North Central and Northeast Nebraska from O'Neill and Bartlett and points to the east. Moderate drought also found in Southwest and West Central Nebraska from Sydney to Imperial. In Kansas, it's abnormally dry from Atwood to Norton and also from Smith Center to around Osborne East to Washington and Manhattan. Weather factors in the market include variable Midwest conditions the next 10 days and a few showers in the northeast part of China. A cold front sweeping across the Midwest and into the south and east will bring an end to a brief heat wave with rain across the south, east, and lower Midwest. By the end of the week, heat will quickly return to across the northern plains and intensify in the west. As a result, those drought impacts will continue to mount in Montana and the Dakotas. Elsewhere, monsoon-related showers will dot the southwest and briefly affect the central plains. Scattered rain and cooler air in the Midwest the next five days will help the crops there. After that, heat and dryness start to return to the western and southern areas of the Midwest with renewed stress. It will be milder, though, in the later periods in the eastern part of the Midwest. Milder temperatures in the northern plains will offer minimal relief to crops. Spring wheat conditions are the worst in almost 30 years. Reduced corn and soybean yields also likely. Right now they have extreme drought in southwest North Dakota and north central South Dakota. Irrigated crops in the southern plains will benefit with cooler temperatures after a few showers the next few days. It turns hotter and drier though after that. 
in the Canadian prairies. No significant rain is forecast for very dry areas of southwest and central Saskatchewan. It looks to stay dry for at least the next seven days. In northeast China, rain is needed for the filling of crops. There will be rain in the next day or two in key corn areas to ease concerns. Another period of rain expected by next week. Well, we'll take all that you can give us there, Paul. Thanks very much. And uh, as we head into these next couple of days, people are going to have to keep in mind that we're going to get back toward that kind of heat stress sort of situation. Aren't yeah, we? real quickly, over the weekend, we're already starting to look at temperatures into the mid to upper 90s, quickly returning just a bit of a transition day tomorrow from these cooler conditions today. Well, nice to have the day off anyway. Uh-huh. All right. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. International Council for Nebraska. I'm Joe Gangwish with Ag News here on the Rural Radio Network. Looking to expand overseas opportunities, the governor announcing a new council this morning. More on that from Susan Littlefield. The governor unveiled the new International Trade Council ahead of the second annual Governor's Summit on Economic Development. To be able to help coordinate and leverage all the resources that all these organizations have overseas. You know, I mentioned, for example, the trade offices that we have at the state and the trade missions we go on. Well, guess what? These other organizations have those similar sorts of relationships. So for example, last year when we were in China, uh, we were at a demonstration farm, which is a combined effort including the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Uh, we were at Tongji University in Shanghai, where UNMC has been doing work. The Governor's Council will bring together business, agriculture, and education groups to work together to expand the overseas trade opportunities. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Alliant Group, a leading tax consultancy in the area of government-sponsored credits and incentives. They've announced the addition of former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Mike Johans as the firm's new chairman of agriculture. A former governor and U.S. senator from Nebraska, Johans brings more than 30 years of experience at every level of government and a strong background in both agriculture and economic development. Now, in his new position, Johans will be guiding the firm's outreach on the various tax credits and incentives available for benefits to the agriculture industry. Well, the 2017 National Cattlemen's Beef Association, their meeting underway, mid-year meeting going on in Denver. Shaley Peters is there. She's got this update. It's been a busy six months leading up to this year's summer meeting, especially concerning trade. Kent Bacchus, Director of International Trade for NCBA, says a recent announcement to look at trade to Korea may cause problems for beef. Earlier this week, uh, the Trump administration announced that they were going to uh, seek some consultations with the Korean government to uh, potentially uh, modify the Korea trade agreement. Uh, they've seen trade deficit grow uh, in, in the last uh, five years or so since we've had a, a Korea trade agreement. Uh, but for the U.S. beef industry, it's the opposite. Korea has been a fantastic agreement for us. Going into uh, this agreement, we faced a 40% tariff on U.S. beef. That's being phased out to zero. And because we have, uh, because the U.S. signed this trade agreement prior to the Australians signing a trade agreement with the Koreans, we have an 8% tariff rate advantage over the Australians. And because of that, the United States has become the leading source of beef in Korea. So 
we have a very positive story to tell, and that's something we're trying to communicate to the Trump administration. For audio and video coverage from this year's summer meeting, you can visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. And the Kansas Department of Agriculture has experienced an increase in herbicide misuse complaints, alleging crop damage due to products containing dicamba. KDA's pesticide and fertilizer program staff, they are actively investigating the complaints for noncompliance with state and federal laws. But they caution producers that these investigations will not characterize crop damage, acres involved, or estimated dollar losses. Now, KDA strongly encourages all users of herbicides, including products containing dicamba, to be attentive to label requirements when selecting and applying products. Also, to be aware of vegetation on surrounding properties and to be vigilant of weather conditions. They say meticulous cleaning of tanks, hoses, and nozzles used for herbicide applications is necessary to prevent chemical carryover over to the next application. Uh, KDA also warning about uh, those folks double cropping soybeans after wheat in the state of Kansas. Lots more at RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. And we're back on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dewey Nelson, and we're talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. And there's not a lot of positive bullish news in the grain markets today. Is this still based on weather or a combination of weather and yesterday's USDA report? You know, I think uh, leading into yesterday, we had a couple of things going on, and that is the anticipation of the USDA report, the short covering of the positions the funds have had, as well as a lot of build-in anxiety of uh, the weather forecast for summer. And, uh, you know, a lot of those things now have converged to flip as we move closer to this weekend. Uh, the July uh, futures will be going off this week. You have a moderation of uh, some of the heat, and you've had some showers coming through and and some lower anxiety when it comes to this pollination and grain production period. So it's definitely been risk-off yesterday. Today, profit-taking, fund-selling has been a predominant uh, force here, and it's, it's you know, they're keeping their, keeping their boot on uh, on the market for now. Dean, if there's a number we can really work on as far as December corn ahead of pollination and, of course, harvest, what would that be? Well, uh, certainly that's going to be driven by the next few weeks as far as the weather outlook. There's still plenty of areas that um, are not great. When you go east, they're, they're too wet. We've got clients that they've had 9, 10 inches of rain in the last couple of weeks they're saturated uh you go west there's areas that are really on that bubble of if we miss the rain and it stays warm we were going to have some issues so i expect this night this 380 december to be support uh in the near term here and after that in the market you have to get out to august and it's going to have to prove that we don't have any issues and quite frankly we're significantly behind on our good excellent ratings from a year ago you drive around the midwest there's some good corn but all in all, there's there's plenty more issues than we've seen in a while. So uh, I, I, I can't write this market off just yet. We're talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Now let's turn our attention to soybeans. And maybe there is no magic number on that November contract as of yet because there's so much to be said about soybeans and their critical development and pod filling in August. What do you think? Yeah, certainly August is the key for soybeans as we know. And uh, one good uh, tropical storm can can uh, add a lot of bushels to our crop. Right now, you know, you look at the soybean market, it was a rocket of short covering uh, the last couple of weeks. And so there's really a lot of airspace in here. 
What I'd be looking for in a support area is probably uh, in that November contract around that 980. We're trading uh, 9.94 right now, which is about a 38% pullback of this big move. And uh, that 9.78 to 9.80 should be a, a pretty good support area for now because beans are still going to have to prove that they can get some good August weather for reproduction. I think some analysts are saying, too, that there's more possibilities to an upside in the move of corn and soybeans than a down so maybe this is just a one two or three day correction yeah i mean for soybeans it's hard to have a uh a dollar forty rally with never having a pullback so we've had a lot of kind of pent-up need for a pullback and it seems like it's all happening in one day here today thanks dean dean heft of water street solutions and you can go to waterstreet.org get a lot more information and if you'd like to call Water Street Direct, it's 866-249-2528. Dewey Nelson reporting. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, junior Nick Gates took the first step toward adding to Nebraska's nation-leading Outland Trophy total, as today he was named to this year's Outland Trophy watch list. Gates, a six foot six, two hundred and ninety-five pound offensive tackle from Las Vegas, Nevada, has anchored the Husker offensive line at tackle the past couple of years. Gates started all thirteen games last season, while the Huskers led the Big Ten in fewest sacks allowed with fifteen. The ACC opened up its preseason football media days by touting its football success from this last year, from Clemson's national title to Louisville quarterback Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman Trophy. Both trophies were on display in Charlotte, though Commissioner John Swarford opened up his State of the League forum by noting, quote, we also know you can't live too long on last year's laurels. The Dallas Cowboys are getting top billing on Forbes' latest ranking as the most valuable sports franchise. Forbes estimates the Cowboys' value at $4.2 billion, dwarfing the Yankees' runner-up status at $3.7 billion. The next three are all European soccer clubs. The New England Patriots, New York Knicks, New York Giants, San Francisco 49ers, and L.A. Lakers all round out the top ten. Of those seven North American teams, four actually missed the playoffs last season. If you're wondering, the average current value of the top most valuable teams is $2.5 billion. That's the highest to date. Venus Williams has reached the Wimbledon final for the 10th time. The five-time champion at the All-England Club was a winner today in straight sets, making her 9-1 in Wimbledon semifinals. The last time she reached the final was in 2009, and her only semifinal loss came a year ago. She has won Wimbledon before in 2000, 01, 05, 07, and in 2008. In baseball, the Cubs have acquired ace Jose Quintana from the White Sox in a major trade between crosstown rivals. Trailing Milwaukee by five and a half games, the defending champs shook things up in a big way today by acquiring Quintana, a 2016 All-Star. In exchange, the Cubs sent four prospects to the White Sox, including outfielder Eloy Jimenez. Quintana this year has been so-so, 4-8 and eight with a 4.49 ERA and 18 starts. And NASCAR driver Kyle Larson has lost his Cup Series lead and his crew chief has been suspended after failing a post-race inspection at Kentucky. Larson's team was penalized 35 points, erasing what had been a one-point advantage over Martin Truex Jr. in the driver standings. Larson is still 66 points ahead of third place Kyle Busch. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
mostly clear skies in the forecast tonight, though a slight chance of showers, the lows around 60. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Wings of Freedom Tour will be on display at the Kearney Municipal Airport beginning Monday, July 17th, and be on display until the aircraft departs after operations on Wednesday, July 19th. Hunter Cheney, Director of Marketing for the Collings Foundation, which sponsors the tour, talks about the types of aircraft that will be on display. The Wings of Freedom Tour features some of the most rare historic aircraft from World War II. We have the legendary B-70, it's a big four-engine heavy bomber. That's one of eight flying in the world. And we have a B-24 Liberator, last one of its types still flying in the world. And B-25 Mitchell, same type of aircraft that was flown during the Doolittle Raid. And flying escort to these bombers is the legendary P-51 Mustang. The Wings of Freedom Tour travels the nation as a flying tribute to the flight crews who flew them, the ground crews who maintained them, the workers who built them, the soldiers, sailors, and airmen they helped protect, and the citizens and families that share the freedom that they helped preserve. The mayor of Omaha is forming a Native American advisory board, and Omaha police officers will receive training on indigenous culture after a man died in police custody. City officials and leaders in the indigenous community met after the June 5th death of unarmed Native American Zachary Bearheels. Police say Bearheels died after being shocked 12 times with a taser, punched, and dragged by his hair by officers. Police allege they were responding to a disturbance call at a convenience store. Indian Affairs Commissioner Rudy Mitchell says long hair is considered sacred for Native American men. Mayor Gene Stothert will create the advisory board by executive order. Police Chief Todd Schmoderer is organizing training on Native American culture sensitivity. Schmoderer recommends two of the officers involved in Bear Heel's death be fired. Businesses, agricultural, and education groups are joining forces to expand Nebraska's reach into international markets that generate billions of dollars annually. Governor Pete Ricketts announced the formation of a new International Trade Council. The council's membership includes agricultural and business leaders and the University of Nebraska. Ricketts says council members will use their existing relationships to help other Nebraska groups that want to expand overseas. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page. In the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters, and I am in Denver for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association summer meeting going on, and I've got here with me a local, but also uh, kind of a big deal here at the summer meeting. He is NCBA President Craig Uden, and Craig, let's just start off by talking about what's going on at this year's summer meeting. Shaley, we, uh, this, is, this is where we get the work done. There's about seven, 800 people that were here as of yesterday, more coming in today. This is where... The states are true state national partnership. We have a lot of states that are bringing uh, their issues to the national level. Those issues will be vented and policy will be uh, uh, put in place. We did that a few years ago, so we have good solid policy that our staff and leadership can uh, work with as we set the new Congress uh, coming in 2018. So have been working on a lot of issues, and uh, it's been a very bright spot for the beef industry this year, very uh, uh, with with trade and all of our 
positive wins we've had in D.C. Uh, we've been very happy uh, uh, moving the industry forward. You mentioned there's a lot, a lot of good turnout at this summer meeting, so a lot to be discussed. Let's jump right into one of those issues. The electronic logging device has been up and talked about quite a bit here. You know, electronic logging device is very important to the industry. Uh, uh, hours of service has uh, been battered around for a number of years. Uh, we're going to have a stay, it looks like, for a year to work on this bill. Uh, what it what it means for a lot of producers out there, a lot of cattle in the west and the east have to be shipped to the feeding sectors and it really puts a hardship on, on those folks when uh, you have to operate under this new law proposed out there, 11 hours of, uh, of work. And that doesn't mean necessarily 11 hours of driving, it means 11 hours from when the truck starts. So time you figure in the fueling stuff, you don't get very far. If you go to the central part of the United States, we even see uh, issues with people getting cattle marketed from their feedlots to the packers because uh, it's, it's been a big issue out there. So hopefully we can get a lot of things worked on in the next year before it becomes law. And that's, I was just going to ask about kind of a timeline with that. As you work on it in the next year, do you see it as a slow process or hopefully something that will move along fairly quickly? Well, we hope it will move along rather quickly, but we're looking for... Uh, <clears throat> maybe exemptions for livestock haulers uh, for the well-being of the animals so the cattle aren't unloaded and offloaded. Uh, how the state patrol or DOT is going to be working with producers or with truck lines as far as moving uh, cattle in, uh, on an interstate uh, uh, commerce. We, we don't want to slow down commerce. We want uh, safety for the animals, but uh, uh, leaving them on a truck when the truck shuts down is not always the best for the, for the livestock. So we hope that we can work with them on some common sense legislation to uh, keep addressing this issue. Speaking of common sense legislation, finally, WOTUS. Uh, we've had good news concerning WOTUS for the first time since basically it's been introduced and moving forward with WOTUS, hopefully continuing to have good news and productive news with WOTUS. Well, the Waters of the United States 2015 rule, uh, currently it's trying to be uh, uh, stopped and killed and started over. We have to uh, have a water rule out there, whether what we call it, what is, uh, uh, we, we don't know, know if we want to call it Waters of the United States, but we do have to have a water spill. It's mandated by Congress that we have to have some type of water uh, rule. Uh, what we want to do is we want to, again, put common sense legislation in there so we don't over-regulate our production system out there with the core engineers where a mud puddle would have to be reviewed and, and okay to operate because uh, uh, we would have a lot of uh, disruptions throughout all of agriculture. I've happened to have the fortunate uh, uh, trips to some of these other countries that have had some of this type of overburden uh, rule-making process and uh, what they can and can operate on their own land, uh, whether it be cattle production or crop production, is just devastating to uh, their agricultural sector. So uh, if we want to be the breadbasket of the world, we need common sense legislation on the water rule. All right, and one more final question, totally shifting gears, but you had the privilege recently to make the trip over to China. Uh, as the first shipment of beef, U.S. beef, made its way over there in over a decade, and probably touching home just a little bit because that first load of beef coming from Nebraska, talk about what it was like for you to be over there and the fact that the beef came from your home state. Well, I think any time we can open up markets, it's a huge win for the beef industry, but in particular in Nebraska. Nebraska is the largest processor and the largest exporter of beef uh, in the United States, so it really uh, 
uh, bodes well for producers in Nebraska. Uh, China was a very uh, enlightening experience. You can see that their uh, their growth rate the last 10 years is really uh, translated into uh, probably a more vibrant economy. Uh, you see a lot of people, young people. When we talk about the 350 million people that are in middle class, a lot of those uh, folks are the younger generation, say 20 to 40. And so you see a lot of nightlife. You see a lot of uh, expanding restaurants and shopping centers, and there's money to be spent over there. There's a golden opportunity. Now, it will start out slower than what some producers would like, but so did South Korea, so did Japan when we re-entered into Japan, and look what those markets are doing today. So as we look at this thing three, five, ten years from now, it's a huge win for the beef industry, and it really bodes well for producers in Nebraska as we have a lot of young people that are re-entering the beef industry, and uh, they're going to have to have access. We only have 4% of the world's population lives inside the U.S. borders, so if we're going to expand our business and the opportunities for our people, we need to have access to the world market. All right, thanks, Craig. Craig Uden, NCBA president from their summer meeting happening here in Denver. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Now let's get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a quiet day in comparison uh, to yesterday in the uh, in the livestock. Uh, going to finish mixing the cattle uh, and uh, a little bit higher in the feeders. And uh, you look at the, the market overall, uh, really haven't had an active uh, trade today uh, in the cattle and you know, after yesterday, uh, having uh, 120 uh, paid, but it sounds like uh, what is trading still is going to be around 120. Doesn't give any uh, insight to uh, uh, any uh, hope that uh, we might see even higher prices. Cutouts were sharply lower once again at noon, and I think that uh, kind of helped keep the market under wraps a little bit as uh, we continue that collapse in the uh, in the beef cutouts. So uh, we finished mixed in the uh, live cattle, higher in the feeders, and that really, the, in the feeders, coming a lot of it coming from the sharply lower grains. That's where all the activity seems to be today. Over in the hogs, uh, quiet, back and forth, uh, finishing mixed uh, to mostly higher. But uh, no, uh, just modestly higher. Uh, cash seems to be uh, still about steady, maybe a little bit firmer. Nothing uh, too big. A lot of spreading going on as the uh, we get closer and closer to that July contract uh, expiring, which that price on that July is right at or near the index right now. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters, and I am in Denver for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Summer Meeting going on, and I've got Kent Backus here. He is the Director of International Trade for the NCBA, and Kent... We'll talk about China, just to open things up. The first shipment of beef, U.S. beef, headed over there just very recently. Let's just jump right into China here. Well, we're very excited about this development into China. You know, for, for almost 14 years, we were banned in China. This goes back to the, the cow that stole Christmas in 2003. 
And so we've been working with the Chinese government, uh, with Chinese industry, and with the U.S. government to try to uh, to really try to address their concerns and reopen that market. Now, obviously, China has a few restrictions on products that come into their market, and those restrictions apply to every country, not just the United States. We're now at the point where we're trying to adjust some of the production practices, especially with the use of technologies such as beta agonists and hormones, so that we can comply with these Chinese demands and provide them with the most beef possible. Uh, you know, at the same time, we realize that China is going to be a slow growth market. We're going to see for the first couple of years just trying to develop the supply chains and then trying to develop the cattle here in the U.S. So I think it'll be uh, probably two or three years where we start to see significant volumes of beef going into China. But when you consider the volume of the Chinese market, they have one-fifth of the world's population with a middle class that's larger than the entire U.S. population. We'd be fools not to explore this market, and they have a real hunger for beef. Uh, and now that we're part of that market, we're going to be able to capitalize on that high-end grain-finished grain market that those other countries aren't meeting. So we really haven't even scratched the surface on the potential in China. We look forward to what the future holds for U.S. beef in China. All right, and shifting gears just a little bit, touch on NAFTA has been a big deal and still kind of wading through what exactly that's going to look like. So uh, when you look at the last 25 years, NAFTA has allowed our exports to both Canada and Mexico to average about $1 billion in sales. And so when you consider that such a significant amount of our exports are still in North America and Canada and Mexico have proven to be very good markets for us, we were a little concerned to know that that access may be jeopardized. Uh, so we're, you know, we're continuing to communicate the importance of NAFTA to the Trump administration uh, so that as they're trying to renegotiate some other areas for manufacturing, service industries, and even some other issues in agriculture, I know that, that, uh, that dairy and sugar and some specialty crops are some priority uh, concerns. We just want to make sure that the beef access that we have enjoyed for 25 years is not jeopardized. Absolutely. And as we travel around the world, finally touching on some news with Korea as well. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, earlier this week, uh, the Trump administration announced that they were going to uh, seek some consultations with the Korean government to uh, potentially uh, modify the Korea trade agreement. Uh, they've seen trade deficit grow uh, in, in the last uh, uh, five years or so since Korea, uh, since we've had a, a Korea trade agreement. Uh, but for the U.S. beef industry, it's the opposite. Korea has been a fantastic agreement for us. Going into uh, this agreement, we faced a 40% tariff on U.S. beef. That's being phased out to zero. And because we have, uh, because the U.S. signed this trade agreement prior to the Australians signing a trade agreement with the Koreans, we have an 8% tariff rate advantage over the Australians. And because of that, the United States has become the leading source of beef in Korea. So we have a very positive story to tell, and that's something we're trying to communicate to the Trump administration. All right. Director of Na International Trade, Kent Backus, with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association from their summer meeting. I'm Shaylee Peters for the Rural Radio Network. Not a lot of positive news when it comes to price in the grain and, live, or grain and soybean futures today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And we're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So where do we go from here is, I know, one of the questions that have been raised. But let's touch on December corn versus December 18 corn. 
Yeah, we've actually seen in the last three days this thing has completely reversed. And uh, so going into Tuesday's close, uh, we were at 12 cents difference between December 17 futures, which is the corn that's sitting in the field right now, and the futures representing next year's crop. Uh, it's now at 26 cents, essentially giving back the entire gain, uh, going back to the late June uh, lows there, and, and actually made some new lows. So that, that doesn't spell good news for corn here. I think given the... Um, you know, the massive spreads now between September and December, that's almost 15 cents wide. I think it's, it's kind of telling us right now that the market doesn't need it, and especially on these rallies, uh, you know, you're just going to see the basis widen out. So while I'm certainly hopeful there we get another run to four, I'm, I'm you know, struggling to find that, uh, that the funds are going to jump back in to push this back up to 430, uh, which has kind of been the target the whole time. Kind of a surprise today to many, and now we look ahead to tomorrow on the end of the week. Many... I had thought maybe we could even see a continuation of this. Uh, I think you could. I mean, beans especially, you look at 960 as a kind of a gap in the chart. That would be a place where you maybe want to look to buy. Uh, I I think the beans, unless you know the the weather in the middle part of August, I I think it's very difficult to say whether beans are bottoming or uh, going straight down from here. you know, money flow is just one of those things, and I, you get trapped into a long position here where the where the weather changes. Predicting that change is impossible. Um, you know, hopefully, marketed some physical on the on the rally here, and uh, you know, we reset. So now is not the time to get bearish. I, I think you've, you've seen the the market move and do its thing, and now it'll probably clean everybody up down here, and, and then resume on a new story here as we get into uh, into August. And I think the uh, you know the data should be supported here going forward. We're going to be getting into even more of a weather market now the next two, three, four weeks, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's, I'm prepared for this thing to go back up from here. Now, you know, December, does it make a trip down to those low 370s or mid-370s again? Probably. But I think given the time of the year, it's difficult to, to foresee folks selling that. This is not last year. I think that's what's fresh in everybody's mind is the market falling apart from uh, from the middle part of July on. And, and I think we're well, you know, a big difference between the conditions this year and a year ago. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing Chicago. Go to the website, danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.